Hey everyone, welcome to the Newbie Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Jonathan Boyle, here with my co-host Joey Chan, and uh, we have a special guest, uh, Stephen Lloyd. Hello everyone. Hey guys. Hey, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on the show, I really appreciate it. Um, Jonathan, I don't know you that well, but we're going to get to know each other really well. And uh, I, I know Joey. I think it uh, froze. For we want to welcome to the show, Steve. Let's start off by telling the audience a little bit about yourself. Um, just a quick intro: what you do, what what is your company, and um, you know, we'll move on from there. Okay, my name is uh, Steve Lloyd, and I uh, I live part time in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and I live part time in uh, Siesta Key, Florida. Um, I have multiple companies, about twenty six different LLCs. All of them surrounded about around real estate, geared towards real estate. And uh, my mothership company is Stone Bay Holdings, where uh, my forte and my expertise is uh, raising capital. I've been raising capital for like 14 years, probably raised over $120 million of active investors right now, like 63 million. So in the fund, there's three pillars. I actually partner with people with strategic partners, I call them. We buy re-performing notes and non-performing notes. I lend private capital on a high level. So my loans are like anything over 500,000 to 5 million, um, but they're with my strategic partners. I don't uh, publicly uh, lend money. Um, and then I buy apartment buildings over 15 million to 20 million range um, and mobile home parks I buy in the five to $9 million range. My partner is uh, Kerry Fakes. We've been partners for about eight years now and uh we are she's my rock so we're very phenomenal part wow that's that's a lot to uh digest steve i guess uh to break it down a little bit further i mean how'd you get started in real estate so i actually uh dave van horn which a lot of people know he's a very good friend we've been friends for i'm getting old here uh like 30 years um he kept trying to take me to real estate i used to own a pizza shop um, in my twenties and the first couple of years of my 30. And I guess around 33, he took me to a real estate meeting down in Rillington, Delaware. I saw all these Yahoo real estate investors telling me that's the greatest thing since sliced bread. So, uh, you know, I got involved in the mortgage company. We would only, the mortgage company, we only did, um, loans for investors. So I was doing loans for investors, started buying single family. And then when, that's when we had the crisis back 13 years ago. And I couldn't go to the bank for financing. So it forced me to raise capital from individuals. So went to my best friend. He gave me like thirty-five dollars to $60,000 for my next deal. Um, then he gave me a friend. Then it was a family member. My sister-in-law got involved with me. And it just kind of like, you know, it wasn't like I didn't, I didn't raise $2 million that year. It was probably like, you know, 50 here, got the structure down, raised 100 um, talk to a securities attorney, which I think everyone should, one should do if they're going to raise capital because there's definitely laws um, that you need to follow. And uh, a lot of people don't want to follow the rules, but I think where I got today is because I follow the rules. I remember talking to my securities attorney in the beginning. I'm like, will you just stop saying these things that I need to do? It's, you're making it too hard. But what it was, was learning what it was all about, taking somebody's money and being responsible for it the right way. And that led me into raising from accredited investors. So an accredited investor is someone with a million dollars worth of assets. If they're single, they got to make, or they got to make $200,000 a year. If they're married, they got to make over 300. And it was a big decision then because um, I could have went the unaccredited route, but I decided to go the accreditor route because I felt that that was a, the best move I made back then. And then I went to Temple University and all I did was teach people how to be the bank, exactly like a Bank of America would give you a loan on a rehab or a rental property or one of your local banks. I just took a person and treated that person like the bank. There's a, there's a book called The Banker's Code and it was written by George Anton. And I think not only for the person that's raising the capital needs to understand that book, but then that book was my marketing arm to get investors to understand what I needed to do for them, where they could lend me money at 60, 65% loan to value. But just like a commercial bank would do, I'd give them all the tools for the security, the note, the mortgage, assignment of rents, 
personal guarantees. And uh, some people question me, like, why would you give them personal guarantees? I'm like, well, your project's gonna make it. If it doesn't make it, it's your responsibility to make sure that investor gets paid back. And even like questioning it. Uh, because if you go to someone that's lent money before and you tell them you're only gonna get a certain amount of paperwork, they're gonna question that. But people have to remember when you start raising money and you take care of individuals, they actually become your marketing arm. Because if I take money from uh, Harry and I do everything right and I walk him down the road up to the fundamentals of how to raise capital, if I do everything right, he's gonna be what? A referral. He's gonna give me another person to maybe lend money to me. So I went on to Temple, uh, built about a $14 million portfolio there. Um, and, uh, you know, I have that today. Yeah, I was, I had about 180 students that rented from me, but the past two years I've been selling Temple um, just because uh, I, I'm more, my location has uh, changed more to Siesta Key and I just don't want to deal. Um, I, I'm not happy. And you can tell all the people at City Hall, uh, I think they're uh, ridiculous and that they're, they're taking that city the wrong way. Very pro-tenant instead of being just fair to the, uh, to the entrepreneur and they make the entrepreneur suffer there. So send that to whoever the mayor is there. <laughs> so that's kind of my story, how I started raising capital. Um, it was one person at a time, a stepping stone, um, learning really. So I would, would you like me to talk about a typical deal back then or? Yeah, yeah, that, that was gonna be our next question. I'll talk about like one of the first deal you've done and how you actually raised, like, what did you say to that before you actually were Steve Lloyd, right? Before everybody knew who you actually were. You were just a guy, you know, uh, that used to own a pizza shop and now wants to do real estate. You know, how, how were you able to convince them to give you that money? Yep. So it's not convince. Okay. It's show. I don't try to convince anyone in my life to do anything. I show people what I'm doing. I show investors what I'm doing. And I create, uh, you know, what the first step is an investor is going to look at who Steve Lloyd is. The second one is what they're going to invest in. The third is about how they're going to get their money back. There are the three things who I am, what I'm investing in and how I'm going to get their money back. There are the three components to raising capital. So, if I just take a typical deal back 13 years ago, I create equity. I don't buy equity. what I mean by that. I would find a distressed asset. This is why I haven't been buying for the past year because there was very few distressed assets. They were expensive. So back then I would just take a regular single family home and I always needed to know my after repair value. Okay, because the win is at the end of the game. It is part of the buy in the beginning. But what I needed to do is let's just take a tip. Let's go to a typical temple property that I would do. I know on a temple property, I have to remember my numbers, that I could get a shell at Temple University for about $130,000. So I could buy that shell for $130,000, and I knew that I, I could, I'd have to put about um, 200, little less, about $170,000 in that property to make that property at the end result appraised for about 450000 So between the purchase and the rehab, I was falling into about 450, uh, no, I'm sorry, um, 315 to 320. And this is why I needed to know that at those properties on a duplex with eight bedrooms at Temple, that would, uh, when I was finished that project, if I had all my students in there with leases and the parents co-sign, I know that property was going to be worth about 450000 So I would have my private investor come in and it'd probably be maybe back then it might've been one or two people. I'd pay them a rate of return, interest only, with either their regular money or predominantly I taught people how to use self-directed IRAs, but we can talk about that later. So I would bring in the funding, but I would secure them just like a normal bank would. I just wouldn't take their money. So there might be a, whoever had more money to give me on that deal would either be first position note, whoever had more money on the deal, and then a second position note. 
I wouldn't put three people on there, just one or two. And Got then it. they gave me the money to purchase the project and to rehab the project. So at the end of the day, with the interest, it usually uh, went up to about what I was into the property for was about 338 to 342,000. Well, if you take what 75% loan the value is when I would want to refi those tenants out and it's very, in, no, not the tenants, refi my investors out, it's very important that you put them secured liens to the property, not only for their security, but when the bank comes in to refi the property, they want to see the debt on the property and it looks better when the loans are secured because they know they're refining $340,000 or you know somewhere in that range. So I would get the house appraised. It was Conestoga Bank that I was using back then and they've been, they're gone now. They've been bought out uh, by other banks. So they merged. So the appraisal would come in at 450. Well, what 75, I still remember, what 75% uh, loan the value? I can tell you it's 338.5. Am I close? Yes. So, so now, now I had my- 337.5, sorry. Right? Yeah, 337.5. Okay, I was off by 1,000. Don't ever call me out again. So we were within $1,000. I'm only kidding with you, brother. So 337.5, but did you see what I did? I owed my investors 337.5. The bank would give me 75% loan the value on the appraised value, which was $450,000. So they would give me a loan for 337.5. And then I'm in a deal with no money out of my pocket. And after I did my first one, what creates wealth? Wealth is created by duplication. And all I did was go to the next project and I did it. I went to the next project. And as I grew, my new investors that I was using on my first two or three product projects, I would go, hey, did I do everything I said I was gonna do? Um, is there anything that you would like me to do better? And every once in a while I said, you know, well, you had my money for six months, I got it back. I really want you to have my money for a longer time. So sometimes I would pay them back in six months this sounds kind of, but I would continue to pay them interest for the next two months until I put them on another deal so they didn't have any uh, a, a law between getting paid again. So, you know, you have to make your investor happy and you to create a win win. Look, they had the money for me, but some of them still wanted to continue to be paid. So, look, even if that cost me $3,000, I kind of just factored that into the next deal where I had to make that up. But that's why my investors started to follow me and my base of investors. So I would go to, you know, after I've done the project, I'm said, uh, uh, would you like to go in another deal? Yes. Uh, do you have two or three people that might want to invest with me like you did if you're so happy? Now, would they give me three people? No, but people are busy, right? I mean, they're just busy but I would really try to get at least one. So if they gave me one or two or three, at least I got to sit down with one. And if that one person told me, this is why I love network marketing. Um, if that person told me no, it was okay. But I know that they were going to probably watch and see what I do as my career as a real estate investor grew. And I can't tell you how many people said no to me. And then a year or two later said, I'm ready to go. You have to re understand that when people go from investing in the stock market or regular investments to alternative investments, that's something new to them. They've never done that before. It's our job. If someone doesn't let me money, lend me money, it's my fault. I blame it on me because I didn't educate them enough to have a good enough feeling to lend me their money. So it's about taking responsibility in creating your own playbook of how walking them down the road of what you're going to do with their money. And if I could, ex I remember I had a flip chart, literally a flip chart. I would sit with an investor. They would sit next to me. I'm go, okay, this is what I'm buying. And this is why I'm buying. Okay. This is the purchase price. And this is the rehab price. And we're going to get this thing rented up. And I'm going to, well, I'm going to put students in there when we're done. I'm going to continue to pay once I, I need it like four or five months to rehab that property. When the students start paying, that confirms, you know, that I'm going to continue to pay your interest. But then how I'm going to pay you back 
is I'm going to go to local bank and do a refi, and then I'm going to pay you back, and then we're going to go on to the next project. I had to clearly explain that to them mm-hmm. so they understood. You know, you know, one tip that I can give you is once you start to learn this process, okay, if I can teach people this process, um, it, 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 it's it's your job to master it before you take somebody's money because it's so important. Look where I am today. It took me from my first investor of $40,000 to well over a hundred million. So over the next, um, you know, I called every single investor I have over the past three months and Hey, how you doing? I, I raised about, I didn't ask one person for money. It wasn't about that, but, I was offered to me almost $4 million for four to six months from now because they want to go into a discounted market, right? They're like, we know, um, we know the distress assets are coming and they want to be part of it. So it's that, that makes me feel good when people want to be doing what I'm doing. And, you know, back then I used to give them a statement every month. I would pay every single month. So some people pay quarterly or at the end of the deal. I don't. And I'm going to, you want to know why? Uh, I'm actually very curious. Yeah. You, you play on a high level. So if someone gives me money, they get a statement at the end of the month. Tell me how much they gave me. And then on the right side is how much I'm paying them a month. Because as those months add up, they can see exactly how much they made with me. Right? So okay. if I give them $2,000 a month, Eight months later, they can see, I highlighted in red that they made $18,000. That's a key to pay people every single month because if you if a person comes into me for the first time and I don't pay them to the end of the project eight, six or eight months later, they didn't get any money. They're not gonna re- they're not gonna give me more money if I never paid them, right? But if I pay them the first month, the second month, the third month, the fourth month, the fifth month. I might not have, have another deal. And then you know what? Steve's paid me five months in a row. How's this deal going, Steve? It's going great. All right, well, I got another extra hundred grand uh, before that deal's even done. Mm. So I think it's very important for you to factor in your numbers when you purchase your rehab and your cost of capital paying on a monthly on a monthly basis. People love to get paid, right? They want that check. And we went to an ACH system to pay. Well, we have a whole software program now. But back then, it was something that I thought that we should do. And, you know, we gave them a statement at the other month. But there's the number one thing you need to do. Number one, pay people on time. When people wake up on the first of the month, they should be able to go to their bank account, bring up their bank account, and see a deposit from the 31st of the previous month. So we hit our ACHs, not too early. You don't want to pay them seven days early because then they'll always expect it. But we hit that ACH on like the 29th. It gets in there the next day on the 30th. But when they wake up on January 1st, the money's in the account. And I'm telling you, you can never be late. And I'll explain why. So if remember, they're my marketing arm, right? Uh-huh. So if Joe, I mean, if uh, we'll use Harry, if Harry is my investor and he's getting paid and I miss a payment or not only miss a payment, I pay him on January 10th and then he's running referral, right? He's my marketing arm. He's talking to Bill. Hey, has Steve Lloyd ever been late? One time you're done. Has Steve Lloyd ever been late? Nope. I get when I wake up on the first, my payments in there. He's never been late. I can't believe, look, <laughs> I have investors out there that I've lent money to, guys that I know, and they pay me late, right? I get my check on the 12th and the the 10th, and I call them up. I'm like, what are you guys doing? I gave you money. We have have basically a contract. We have a note and a mortgage that you're paying me on the 1st. It doesn't say in there, pay me on the 7th. Pay me on the 1st. I expect my money on the 1st. Pay me whenever you feel like it. Is there questions on what I was just talking about? No, not uh, not specifically. But um, what what I like to do is um, actually, actually if you know. can uh, elaborate a little bit about the uh, the presentation, um, 
So when, whenever you do a presentation to the investor, is it more of a formal presentation or is it a little bit more informal, you know, where you're kind of like in, in shorts and jeans and, you know, things like that and t-shirt, I mean, and jeans, um, okay. or is it like suit and tie type of, type of deal? Um, let me ask you a question, Joe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen me in a suit and tie? I have not. <laughs> okay. So I'm sitting here now in flip-flop shorts and a t-shirt. And I think what people, if you put on a suit and tie, you're done because most of these investors, they don't want to feel the corporate world. Yeah. What I want to tell you to do is be who you are. Don't be anything different. If you wear construction clothes, if you, whatever you wear on a daily basis, yeah. go meet that person with what you wear every day. Don't be somebody that you're not. Um, this is crazy. So Stone Bay owns, I own like $150 million worth of assets today. Okay. If we go back, uh, we just went into an office three years ago. So I would bring investors. My office was run out of my basement. So I would literally sit in my living room. People would walk in and they would, we would sit in my living room and do it. I'd be in a pair of shorts, probably sneakers on. Yeah, I might have had a collar shirt on or something. I mean, don't look like a complete slob. Um, <laughs> but I, I can't tell you how much money I raised just in my normal, uh, my normal home setting. Make people feel comfortable. You want to drink a water, and I would spend time with them. You got to remember, you're asking for something. But for me, um, today it's a little different. So today is more like an interview. Um, I'm not chasing money or I'm not begging for money. Today I actually interview the investor, right? Or even I'd say after the first year, it turned into more like an I'm interviewing them. They're interviewing you. But I don't want to bring in the wrong investor that we don't meet eye to eye. I want to ask the investor, what are your goals are? How, what kind of return do you want? Well, I want a 14% return. Well, I'm sorry, my company doesn't operate that way. I can't make any money with a 14% return. Um, I'm just not your guy. I can't tell you how many investors that I turn around. Um, we, we, we pay out an 8% preferred return today. Um, if they want 11 or 12, I'm not your guy. But Joe, the investor who I'm kind of interviewing today, um, do you want to use IRA money? Do you want to do regular, do you want to do regular money? Do you have a line of credit on your house where I would always pay 2% 2 more because if they were using their line of credit, they might be paying three and a half percent or 4% interest. And then I might pay them 10 or 11 so they could still make a spread on the money's bank. So it was kind of seeing what they wanted to do, what their timeline was. Was it regular money? Was it IRA money? And if they didn't know how to use IRA money, then I would give them a pamphlet on Camaplan. That's who I have like 200 people there. So uh, back then I would give them a pamphlet on Camaplan. I would say, go to Camaplan.com and look at their website. This is a self-directed IRA company that will make, not make decisions for you on whether where to invest your money, but they're more like a custodian for you. They're a means to get out your investments for a consistent return. That's incredible. Elaborating on, you know, like when you got started with investors, how did you speak to them to give them more of a debt rather than an equity? And did you, or what, what did you do at the beginning? Because I know a lot of people that I've just, I've spoken to, they typically are looking to be an equity partner or something to that extent. It's all the what you tell somebody how your company set up. So that is like, that's a good question because not many people ask me, but that really means a lot to me. So Steve Lloyd, this is, I don't know how to word this in the right way. I just chose to pay a rate of return. If somebody wanted equity, they just weren't an investor for me. I'm not willing to work my buns off um, to just, at that time, at that time, I do it a little differently today, but at that time, I just wasn't willing to give up equity. And, but I'm not saying that that was the right thing to do. I just wanted an investor that wanted a rate of return because when you kind of think about it, they are your partner. It's really not the true definition of equity, but when you do, when you got, you guys flip, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you do a flip, okay, this is what I would explain to the investor and see if this makes sense to you. 
when you do a flip and you bring an investor in and pay them a rate of return, do they have any chance of downside? No. Like you? No. No, because they're getting a paid a rate of return. Now, be honest with you. How many flips that you've done, and if you really look at the statistics of your final, if your final numbers, if you say, Joey, I'm, Joey goes and does a flip and he thinks that he's going to make 40 grand and he doesn't make 40 grand, but the investor got 15,000 in interest. And then at the end of the day, you ended up making 30 grand. They ended up making 15,000, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a pretty good return on your money where I would tell the investor, you're guaranteed this interest but you're not guaranteed a profit at the end. And I can't tell you what that profit was going to be. So for them, they go, you know what? I'll take the interest because I want to know what the investor gets to know what they're going to make at the end of the deal at nine months. If they're just an investor in a rate of return, yeah. you can't really tell them what they're going to make at the end of a joint venture, right? They could make 20 grand, five grand, eight grand, that deal that you thought you were going to make 40, you only make 20 then they might be 25% partner. They only get seven. But when I started Stone Bay and started the fund, now, do you want me to stay back in the 12 years ago? Yeah. That's where, when I started, because you have newbies on here, when I personally lend, when I lend money, I don't take equity. Very rarely. Sometimes I do. It, you know, it's, it's, things are different today. But if we go back a couple of years ago, I was lending money and taking equity share of the deal. And I noticed at the end that I would have made more money on my interest return than I was making on my equity, equity, equity return. So it's very different for me now. Now I'm dealing with millions of dollars. So the structures are a little different on different opportunities. But, you know, when I'm lending my personal money, very rarely when I'm funding rehabbers that I'm asking for equity. Because I know when I'm charging, look, I'm not cheap. I'm four points and 12. And everyone tells me I can't get four and 12, but I get it all day long. Because not only, it's like Shark Tank, right? Not only are they getting my money, they're getting my expertise. They're getting, they got someone to call seven days a week, 24 hours a day to ask them questions about their project, how they structure their, their company. I can't tell you how many people that I help them with their accounting because Kerry is an expert in accounting, get all my knowledge over 14 years. And what I noticed with the common flipper, investor, um, real estate holder, they don't understand accounting. They don't understand accounting. And Kerry actually puts uh, policies and procedures and get them to understand how the accounting works. Get a little off topic, I'm sorry. No, but it's, it's not the deal. You can have the greatest slice of pizza. You can have the greatest taco restaurant. You can have the greatest uh, cell phone business. It is all about the management of money. It's how the guys that succeed in this business manage money well. Can you guys hear me? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, it's about, you know, I used to have a pizza shop. I had an amazing pizza, but if I had sales employees and tax distributions and sales tax, if I didn't manage that money, my pizza shop would have went out of business. And that's why you see that most small businesses open up. It's not because they don't have a good product. It's because they can't manage money. Mm. That's very true. Phew, I'm getting all pumped up, man. Let's do this. What else we got? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm definitely learning a lot. It's Same here. Ridiculous. This is one, I, I think this is one of the best podcasts you know, we have. Yeah, by far. Well, I'm your first one, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> this is going to be, what, episode like 26 or 7, something like that? Like 28 or 29. Yeah. I'm, a little, I'm a little offended that I dropped all the way down to 28 or 29, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in my defense, I, I really didn't know you. Right. <laughs> I didn't talk to Joey here. Well, now you know me. Now we're friends. Now you can call me whenever you want. Borrowing money, or should we move on to, like, now what you do? Because I know you do things with like Airbnb and whatnot as well. Um, why don't we, do you want to talk about the state of the market and what I'm thinking for yeah. the next year? Yeah, definitely. Okay. That's, yeah. That, right. Should investors be uh, cashing up, right? Um, sort of like saving up or um, start to kind of, um, you know, raise capital for, for this next uh, six month push, you know, where all these good deals are coming, like you indicated. 
earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of what I'm doing is I'm people going, what are you doing, Steve Lloyd? And I'm going really nothing. I'm sitting, waiting, watching, uh, because I think the risk factor is just too much, to, too much to go into the market right now. Um, to me, I don't want to scare anybody, but I believe this is worse of what's going on um, than 13 years ago. I think there's going to be a massive, unfortunately, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, there's going to be a massive buying opportunity um, six to nine months from now. And I think it's going to last for a year or two. Um, we needed a correction. Uh, this is not how I wanted a correction to happen. Um, but you know, if you think about what happened 13 years ago, people were going to the movies, they were going to the malls, they were getting on airplanes. Today, people aren't going to the movies, they're not going to the malls. Um, you know, unfortunately, what you're watching on the, uh, I believe in the stock market is just a, a fallacy. It's not our world. Mm -hmm. That's the corporate world that's going on. That's where a Fed's pumping a tremendous amount of money into these companies. They're, they're, look, they're, they're buying, they're, they're flooding airlines all these industries with money so they can stay on top we're just small little entrepreneurs in the big picture of things so you know when i sit here i'm living in siesta key right now when i walk down the street at night i see three thousand vacant rentals i see construction projects that are halfway built that they owe that bank money and the market just dropped 20 percent um, so when you're looking at a re when you're looking at a construction project on a house, uh, you're probably looking at 15 to 20% margins. Is that about it on the sale out? Yeah. So yeah. If, the, if, if they have a loan that they bought at the top, if they have a, a piece of property that they, the land, the guy, if they bought that at the top of the market and construction prices, uh, the material prices are up and then they owe the bank money on a construction loan. And when, by the time they get it sold or by the time they put it up for sale and the market's down 20%, well, that guy has two choices, right? He has to walk away from that loan or he has to finish the project and probably lose money and not make a dime for a year's worth of effort. Um, when I look at Las Vegas, if you just put this in the perspective, um, I think Las Vegas is a good place to look. There's an entire city that's shut down. That's a service-based city. I think it's going to be mm -hmm. decimated. Um, I can't even tell you what... Um, how bad it is there. I have an investor there. He says, Steve, it's a city that's a ghost town. So we think Philadelphia or New York's quiet. Just to think about where a whole a whole city is based off of, there's not financial advisors there. Yeah, there's a couple, right? But Philadelphia has got the exchange. They got, you know, there's tons of advisors there. But, it, but in Las Vegas, it's geared towards casinos. So I am not the person right now to people are looking at the stock market and saying, okay, this is going to be okay. I think it, they're looking at the wrong places to see if this is okay. This is going to be bad. So Steve Lloyd, I am sitting tight. I'm looking, I am talking about people. I'm talking about raising capital. Uh, I'm talking about, you know, where I was a month ago to maybe changing my strategy of what I'm going to invest in six months from now. Is it going to be a single family flip? Is it going to be that I sell? Is it going to be more notes, uh, non-performing notes or re-performing notes, right? Is it going to be a commercial property? I'm not really sure what's going to be the winner yet. I got to let the, I got to let the fallout happen. And then when I uh, determine what I'm going to do, I'm on Siesta Key. I have seven units here that I do vacation rentals. If you would have asked me a month and a half ago, uh, how's my vacation rental market going with Verbo and Airbnb? I would have told you that uh, all my properties are full. I would tell you I'm booked to almost July. I'm telling you it's one of the greatest things I ever did. Me, I'm a very social guy, so I love uh, meeting people from all over the world that are renting my properties. To today, where I'm the only one here. They're all vacant. Uh, I got canceled $60,000 in bookings. Probably by the time July comes, it'll probably be 80 to 90 to $100,000 in lost bookings. So, you know, I'm not really sure where we're going to go. Uh, look, I know I love real estate, but I think you should be evaluating what you're doing, learning, learning how to raise capital, reading the banker's code, getting on podcasts, see what other people are doing, but then internally make the, your own decision what you want to do, how much risk factor you want to do. It's a very easy if you're if you're if you're a new real estate investor. Look, it's the sixty seventy thousand um, dollar um, 
you know, a rental property, which maybe in this market, you, I don't, I don't do section eight. I know a lot of people do, but it just never worked for me. I've always had problems with it, but maybe I switched. I'm trying to help your listeners. I'm not going to buy $60,000 properties, but you know, if it's buying a $60,000 property, do I want someone that has a W2 job or would I like that guaranteed payment from, um, from the government, right? So there's a lot of things that we got to work out. Vacation rentals, the only way, the only reason I feel comfortable here in Siesta is because it is the number one beach in the country. It has just got ranked number one in the country and it just got number 11 in the world. So do I think people are going to come back to Siesta um, faster than they'll come back to Daytona Beach or St. Pete or maybe even Naples because um, this is a crazy gorgeous here. So is it uh, investing in an apartment building? Um, you got to feel, you got to figure out what you want to do and, and create a plan for it because there will be a massive buying opportunity. Not only maybe, you know, if you're a newbie, you know, partner with someone on a rental property. Um, I always be careful with that because a partnership is like a marriage. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it could be you know, devastating five years from now. Uh, because there has to be fair exchange between the partners, and that's a rare thing to find. And my partnership with Carrie Fakes is there is fair exchange. I have my roles. She has my roles. At the end of the day, we know we can go home and wake up the next day, and I know Carrie got done what she needed to do, and I know I got done what I needed to do. So there's a, there is a lot of unknowns now, and that's why I'm, uh, I'm taking a, a wait-and-see attitude. And you have to be like Warren Buffett right now. You have to be patient. Patient wins the investment game. Most of you guys, if you're just getting into this market and you're a newbie for one or two years, guys, you got 30 years to invest. Don't jump in. Don't make mistakes. I believe this market's going to drop 15 to 25%. Do I have a crystal ball? No, I don't, but... You kind of just look and see what's going on. It's not good. Yeah, um, it's great. You just answered kind of uh, had a question about the Airbnbs. A good strategy to sort of uh, purchase Airbnbs that are already existing, but the the homeowner or the um, you know the person that owns the Airbnb, they can no longer afford to keep it because they have no income right now from the Airbnb. Is it a good right. time to purchase, buy them out? Um, well, or- let's, let's think about that. Let's think yeah. about that. So one, you got to have cash if you're going to own an Airbnb. Right. We're not being affected because I, I've done pretty well and I'm smart and I have um, a fair amount of money sitting on the side so I can still pay my mortgages. So think about what you're saying. You're saying, Let's go buy an Airbnb where a guy doesn't have it rented and he can't get it rented, (laughs) right? Because of the virus we have going on. So my answer to that is you can't go buy a property that you're not going to get it rented. Um, Maybe at a certain price if you have enough money to hold on. But, you know, look, if you're talking about, you know, Airbnb or a vacation rental where I am, it's the first to get hit, okay? Because... The people that are coming to rent your property right now and to come on vacation, that's a bonus in their life to go on vacation. That's uh, something that they save for if they had money. They're going to not take that vacation this year. They're probably going to stay home and focus on their owner occupied and their kids um, of what they have going on in the immediate, you know, the next year. So I... Uh, I am going to look at more Airbnbs, but then I got to decide whether do I want to have, could you imagine if I had 20 units right now, that would probably be hurting me. So now I got the seven. And if you would have asked me two months ago, I'm going to own 50. I'm taking over Siesta key drive or I own uh, a block in Philly. And this is going so well that I want to own 10 more on the block. Well, guess what? More isn't better. Sometimes, like, what, I, what I'm telling some people to do is maybe you don't need more. Concentrate on more of what you own and what you have now and maybe taking that extra money and paying down on that mortgage rather than going to another property. So maybe I can explain this a little bit better. So if you got five properties 
instead of going buying another one or two and thinking you need to take over the world with real estate, maybe concentrate on that five and maybe just pay them down quicker. Could be an option, right? This is all about the options that we're going through. Yeah. So with the, if you have an Airbnb in the city, who is going to go and rent that right now when someone just left that Airbnb you home? They're nervous. I, I just wouldn't focus on that market right now. I just don't think it's a good idea unless you're stacked with cash and you believe that, you know, look, it's, 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 it's going to, where are we going to be in six months? I don't have that answer. I'm just back to watching. That's great. Got it. So what, one, one second, I'm going to give you, a, I'll give you one example. I have a very good friend that is in San Diego, California. Uh, her and I are very close, very good friends. So she bought an $800,000 building 10 months ago for strictly Airbnb and then uh, Verbo. So I talked to her uh, about three months ago and she was completely kicking butt, man. She's like, oh my gosh, Verbo and Airbnb. It's the greatest thing that they've ever, you know, that they've ever come up, the greatest business in the world. I put something on the internet and people come and Airbnb and Verbo, they take care of the whole process and I'm making money. Well, I talked to her three weeks ago and she's completely vacant. And Airbnb and Verbo won't even let you rent your properties right now. And she's got a count, she's got a, uh, uh, she has to pay an $8,000 mortgage. Not good. But let me make this one point to the investor that's caught in a situation like that. The advice I gave her is I asked her a question, how much equity do you have in that property before this started, right? Because we know it's going to drop. She had about 150000 let's call it $150,000 in equity. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't really sure how she was going to continue to pay her bills. Um, so what I said to her, as I said, why don't you look for somebody that wants to own an Airbnb in San Diego and, and sell off some of that $150,000 in equity. So sell that person $75,000 and maybe give them 25% of the deal. Leverage your stuff right now. If you can't make your, if you have tenants that aren't paying and you're gonna struggle four months from now and pay your rental property mortgages, maybe bring in an investor that wants to be part of real estate right now and, and, and give up some of that equity, which we all have these egos. I'm not giving up equity. I'm not going to do that. Well, if you can get through this moment of time, which it is a moment of time, this will get better. It will be better. I can't, I'm not going to give you a time frame because I think it's going to linger for a while. Um, but, you know, two years from now, if you just took one step back and you survived through this bad time of giving up equity, well, it's going to spring you forward for the next eight years because you survived this downturn. It's that's I'm thinking, no, that, yeah, no, that's great thinking because some people don't think that way. Like some people might be like a little over leveraged uh, and have equity in some of those properties that they have. And now, you know, like you're giving kind of like an, you know, like ulterior uh, idea for people. You know, yeah. Well, well, let's think about the person I was talking to. She's got $150,000 worth of equity. Her expenses are $10,000 a month. If I wrote her a check for $75,000 of her $150,000 in equity and she gives me 25%, she now has $75,000 to work for the next eight to nine months. Yes. She's probably going to get her out of her problem. Who cares if she gave up 25%? Who cares? It doesn't, it's, that's it all. It, it doesn't matter because you're going to find another deal and you're still going to, you know, have more properties down the road. Right. You're going to get through your problem and then you're going to exceed. And then you got uh, probably maybe another business partner. Uh, this happened to me. So if you go back 10 years ago, when I was at Temple, I had a bad partner. Uh, I did a lot, really not good things. And I thought I was going under 10 years ago. And I had, you know, I did have equity there. So what I did is I went to somebody and uh, I didn't, I didn't want to give up my equity the first two or three months, but I was ruining my life. I was walking around my shore house when I had that house in Wildwood. And I remember the whole thing. I remember the year is the worst year of my life. I go, everything I worked for, I'm losing. So I came to my senses and it kind of happened by accident because he was one of my lenders and he asked me to go to lunch to talk about more lending deals. He didn't know how much trouble I was in. And he goes, look, I just, I just sold my company for X amount 
and I have a couple million dollars. I want to fund all your deals. And I was like, well, would you like to be my partner? <laughs> and he said, yes. And he wrote me a check for $900,000. And he gave me a line of credit of like 600,000. And now today, God's honest truth. I just sold seven of those properties over the past two months at extremely high numbers. If they're off my plate, I, uh, they're off my plate. We did really well, but I look back at that time and I just said I was an immature investor. I didn't want to give equity. I didn't put a, my legs, my head between my legs and, 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 and hurt my ego. And now we have the greatest partnership and he's bought me, he's brought me about 30 investors since then that probably makes up about $9 million. Wow. So wow. sometimes you don't when think we, about those things, right? So when, when we, when we think, when we get in trouble, we have to think about, you know, poor me or sad. Look, it's okay to get upset and go through um, the minds. Uh, the mind is, is, a, is an amazing uh, tool, right? I mean, you can be happy. You can be sad. It controls your emotions and you're all over the place. You just got to take a step back and say, what are some options I can do to get out of here at this moment of time that's going to get me a year from now where I'm going to prosper again? But even giving up equity, you're kind of prospering, right? You might be giving up something here, but it's going to get you through this. So it's kind of prospering if you're making the right decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I did the, uh, so it's funny you said that that happened to you. So the same thing happened to me as well. Uh, back in 2006, I had a partner. Um, well, actually, I didn't have a partner yet. But in 2006, I ran into some financial problems as well. And, you know, so I owned 100% of my construction company, started it and everything. And then one of my, uh, I went to one of my employees who, who, who was a really good friend. Um, and I asked him, I said, hey, do you know anybody I can borrow some money from? You know, because, you know, I, I have some, I had a lot of bills to pay. You know, I had just purchased the home my primary residence back in 2004. Uh, and so, you know, like a couple of jobs didn't go as well as, you know, I wanted it to go. And so, you know, a lot of debt was racking up. And um, so he was able to kind of uh, fund me, you know, get, help me get rid of a lot of my debts. And um, I was able to catch up and things like that. And then, I gave him 40% of my business, you know, for doing that. But at the same time in those, um, so we were partners for five years from 2006 to 2011. And um, basically in, in that period, uh, my business like really flourished. Uh, Lee, Lee knows him too, by the way. Um, <laughs> and um, like I said, my business really flourished because, you know, I had somebody kind of like on the inside who was always at the job sites who uh, basically like made the quality and better, you know? So yeah. let's say if we, we were making 15% every job, now we're making 20 to 25% every job, you know, just because we kind of buckled down and did everything better. So yeah, definitely, um, you know, giving up that ego is really, you know, something you have to do. Look, it's all going to work out. Is how you make decisions um, today. How they're gonna, how they're gonna work out. You make make the right decisions. Um, stay level-headed. Put the right people in your life. Call people. Communicate. The biggest, most of the, I see the biggest problem with an investor is they don't reach out for help. Because the people they need to reach out for help, they usually don't want to tell them that they're having problems. Every single one of us has problems. They never end. If you show me a guy that you, you can tell me a guy, I'd love to talk to him, that I don't care how successful is he, how successful he is. I want you to introduce me to that person that has no problems going on. I take problems and I call them situations. Uh, just got away, try to get away from the word problem. There's situations that we got to walk through and we deal through and being an entrepreneur, you better be able to handle the situations and the problems more than you can handle success because the problems are going to tear you apart. 
So I always look grateful and thankful. You see how I treat on social media. You don't see anything negative from me, yeah. right? And then I take, I, I, when I take my, my 10 minutes of gratitude every morning, it's like, what's everything I have? I got friends. I can breathe. I live in Siesta Key. I live in Westchester. I got great partners. Uh, it goes on and on and on. I got a really nice bike that I can take a ride, all this stuff. And then I go on my left-hand side. Okay, what's the problems I got? There are usually only two or three that are tearing our soul apart. There are only two or three. So take those three, concentrate on those three, and eliminate them. And once you get rid of those three, there's going to be three more. <laughs> right? It never ends for an entrepreneur. There is, you know, wealth is created over time. I wasn't wealthy 10 years ago. It took me, you know, the problem with the, I'm getting a little off track, but the problem with the entrepreneur, they want to go into real estate. They want to be rich in two years. It's not going to happen, boys and girls. It's going to happen over a seven, eight to 10 year period. And most of your wealth, you know, for you, Joe, you told me that you're 40. Your wealth is going to be created in your 50s. I want you to call me back when you're 60 years old. And I want you to tell me, did you create all your wealth in your 40s or did you create all your wealth from your 50 to 60? And I guarantee you, you think you're creating your wealth now. All you're doing is created a basis right now with all your knowledge to really create your wealth in your 50s. That's when it's going to happen. And look, uh, Jonathan, you have even more an advantage. You know, you're 28 years old. It's, it's 29. Like, okay, look, 29 years old. I started at age 37. I didn't own a piece of real estate until I was 37 years old. Oh, wow. Right. So you're way ahead of me. You're, you're way ahead of me where I was at, at, uh, at your age. So just make sound, smart decisions and do the right thing when no one's looking. Pretty simple, simple, but so hard. Next question. I'm, I'm curious, uh, Steve, what markets are you actually looking at right now as a lender and as an investor and why? Uh, well, as far as me lending money, either lending money, your partners. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So answer that question. I don't change. Uh, uh, I'm not, you know, someone did a webinar and like, you know, Dallas, Texas or Houston is going to be the big Las Vegas. I don't know houses. I can tell you right now, Las Vegas is going to take a dump, but I'm not buying no houses in Las Vegas. I don't know the market there. It goes back to stick with what you know. If you buy houses in Northern New Jersey, and that's where your zone is. That's where you should continue to do business. Don't go run down to the southern part of the state and start doing deals there where you don't know the market there. I'm focusing on the markets that I'm already in. If that market doesn't only takes a 15% drop versus a 30% drop, I'm still buying at that 15% drop because most likely that 30% drop, I don't know that market. So I'm not really changing anything of where I lend money to or where Steve Lloyd buys. I'm looking, you know, we're in the apartment building world in Georgia and in Florida. I'm not going to Utah to buy a cow, a, an apartment building just because I heard it's a good deal. I'm staying consistent to what I know and where I know. Um, and I'm staying consistent and with who I do business with. So I'm not making those kind of changes because, you know, there was a webinar two weeks ago about let's take a look at where the biggest crashes are going to be and where the biggest rise will be when we come out of this. You know, let's just take an example. Las Vegas is a good, I'm just not going to Vegas. I know the market I'm in. I know Siesta Key or vacation rentals. I'm not going to St. Pete to do vacation rentals. I'm going to find opportunity right where I am. I'm not going to get out of my zone. I'm not going to lend money out of my zone. I'm not going to lend money someone to someone. I don't lend in California. I don't, I don't know the real estate market there. I'm not going to change in what I know to possibly make a bigger dollar amount because that very rarely happens. It's what you know is what will make you money. That makes sense? Yeah, no, that, that, that makes perfect sense. Uh, so you guys, wherever you guys are buying, Buy there and buy more and find better deals there more. Don't go jump in nine townships over where the drive is farther. You might need new contractors. Stay in your zone. Make your zone better. That's my opinion on that. Yeah, quantity. I'm sorry. Quality over quantity. Correct. Yeah. Why didn't you say that before? I wouldn't have to talk for five minutes. <laughs>
What are some good books that you like to read uh, other than The Banker's Code, which you, you already uh, mentioned? Um, yeah, or, or I, I, I'm not a book. I'm just the wrong guy to do the book thing. I just don't read that much. Um, if I want to fall asleep, I start reading someone's book. It's just a very, it's a very boring thing for me. My attention span can't go for 300 pages. But let's list, let's just, I'll give you some people you can follow, right? Um, there's a guy named Scott Duffy, D-U-F-F-Y, Scott Duffy. Get on his Instagram, follow him. It's not really about real estate, but it's the fundamentals of business. You guys are just amazing information. You know, try to, try to follow some the typical people like Dave Van Horn. Um, uh, you know, Jason Scott, he writes a lot on bigger pockets. Uh, Carol Scott, they live like 10 minutes from me. Phenomenal. You know, see what Warren Buffett's doing. Uh, watch what he's doing, you know, learn how he thinks, uh, making investments over a long period of time. Um, but I don't have a, I don't really follow a lot of people. Uh, I just really do my thing. I just kind of just common sense. People go after they talk to me, they're like, Steve, you make it sound so simple. <laughs> um, I really keep it simple. Uh, when someone comes to me for a deal and goes, this is how we're going to make money. We got to do this, 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 and that. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing any of those because that doesn't equate to money to me. That just sounds like complication. I, I, I buy a piece of real estate, I rehab it, and I sell it. Okay. I, if it's a rental, I get a rental and I rent it. If I lend money, I just do the typical lending strategy. I don't do waterfalls and all this crazy stuff that makes everything so complicated. Real estate can be very simplistic. Uh, I listened to you guys before we got on the call, and I think that you need to have a combination of flips and holds. Flips are gonna create your income, and holds are gonna create your wealth. It's that simple. If you only hold, you're never gonna have cash flow, and you're not gonna make it. If you just do flips, you're just another W-2 income employee. But when you have the combination to flip and bring in money at 10 or 15 or $20,000 clips, you do for a year, you're making a hundred grand. And then if you hold three or four properties every single year, that to me is what's going to create your wealth. And if you can get those rentals, bank finance, just look at an amortization schedule but every single month. The greatest thing I like to say about the business is I have about 1,800 tenants between mortgages and everything. I got 1,800 people to get out of bed and go to work for me every single day. And they're not W-2 income earners. And just, it, you know, I had that idea when I had like 10 tenants. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got 10 people to get up and go to work for me every single day and pay for my debt. There's not many greater things in the world, if you can ask me. And, um, you know, just take your time and be patient and, uh, you know, don't overreact to this. Be disciplined. And I, I think everyone on the call that's listening will create success. How can people get in touch with you? Um, I know you're on Facebook. Are you on Instagram as well? Yeah, here you go again. I don't even know what I'm <laughs> on. I just got an Instagram account. I am on Instagram. I'll send you my handles, okay? I'll send you all. I don't know what they are. I got to ask some person that's helping me. Uh, I'll get you my handles. I don't know any of it. Um, I, I'll text it all to you and you can give it to everybody. But I, I, mainly me personally, I do just do Facebook. I keep it simple. Um, I do have an Instagram account. Um, I actually would like you to get my YouTube because I'm going to be talking a lot uh, about stuff, this stuff. So yeah. when, when we get off the call, I'm gonna, I'll get that and you can get it out to everybody. You know, I need YouTube subscribers and Instagram. It would be a big help. And I, and I don't want, you know, you know, there's a lot of guys that are selling everything out there and they're, they're going to sell this and they're going to sell this and they're trying to lead you on their YouTube um, for some profit for them. I'm telling you, I'm not trying to profit. I'm just, I just love helping entrepreneurs. I was born an entrepreneur. I don't know anything else. And all I really want to do is help people um, in good times and in bad or whenever they need me. I can tell you over the past three or four weeks, I probably talked to uh, 50, 60, 70 entrepreneurs. I was on the phone at 11 o'clock last night till 12. 
back on the phone at seven o'clock this morning with uh, people wanting to ask my questions. And look, this is my life. This is what I do. I don't have hobbies. I don't go golfing. Um, I don't do a lot of these things. I, don't, I just, this is what I do. I love being an entrepreneur and we got to get through this together. It, uh, for me, is in terms of questions. Yeah, if you, I mean, if you guys, uh, you know, take a look at everything and you got more questions for me, we can jump back on tomorrow or Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So, I mean, you know, thanks uh, for being part of the show, Steve. It, it really means a lot. Good. You guys are really good guys. I, I see it. And uh, just be careful and uh, make good decisions. And if you need any help, give me a call. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. Take care, everyone.